Welcome to the podcast series Beyond the Obvious. I'm Caroline White, Tafodja Roy. And I'm Sean O'Conline. And you, Togamidaig Erin Tlainte, Agzengerkem Timpelachta. For this episode, we're delighted to welcome David Somek from the European Health Futures Forum as our guest host for a roundtable discussion on health and the environment. We'll hand over to David now. Welcome to the fifth podcast, which has been co-produced by EHFF and by FASTA. This is a podcast where we will look at the subject of health and the environment. My name is David Somek. I'm one of the directors of EHFF. And the first person I'm going to get us to hear from is Susanna Quichon, who is currently in Barcelona and doing a master's in public health. Susanna, would you like to tell us your view on this interesting subject? Yes, of course. So I find it actually quite exciting to be part of this this new era we live in today. Uh, We're arriving at the end of something. We're at the edge uh, in terms of technology, of climate, of the economy, and we need change to happen. And it's probably the biggest challenge for my generation and the next. So during the last century, uh, many important developments have been occurring. We've made breakthrough discoveries in technology, in medicine, communication, or travel. And the process of globalization has opened our borders, making trade between countries easier than ever. And still, 18 million human beings die prematurely each year from medical conditions that we can cure. That's 50,000 avoidable deaths per day. So there's definitely something going wrong. And nowadays, I think more and more people stop and think about the consequences of these developments. So how does this globalization impact human health, human life? Well, first of all, society as it is today, shaped by globalization, shaped by deregulation, marketization, it tends to reinforce disparities, disparities in income and wealth, and therefore also in well-being and health, widening the gap between the rich and poor, both inside the countries, but also between them. The growing world population, the environmental impacts of human activities, mostly economic ones, urbanization, consumerism, they all impact human health. Uh, for example, through the emergence or re-emergence of zoonotic and vector-borne diseases. So if you take dengue, for example, which is an infectious disease transmitted by mosquitoes, um, it has seen an increase in the number of outbreaks in the last 10 years. So I think it's clear that our way of living is not sustainable on the long run. And the question now is, how can we deal with these new challenges? How can we bring about change? And what is really difficult, I think, is the fact that all of these issues, they cannot be solved rapidly. It will take several generations to see the actual impact of those changes. And the way the society and politics work today, it requires solutions to show immediate results and also, therefore, short term. And mostly we try to mitigate the health effects caused by these new ways of living instead of tackling the core of the problem. So in healthcare, this translates into investing in healthcare services instead of concentrating on health promotion, on prevention, and the social determinants of health. So we've had a rapid economic globalization, but the political globalization did not follow the pace. In health, we still lack a proper international governance. The WHO is working hard on these issues, 
um, but it does not have binding power, so it limits its influence. The privatization of healthcare and the introduction of new actors on the global health stage, such as multinational companies, philanthropies, uh, who have more and more power on the agenda setting, also fragments the health governance. And I think it's fundamental to tackle the challenges of the future to have this, this global governance for health. But we also have to keep in mind that community involvement in decision-making is also crucial. So if you want the change policies to be efficient and properly implemented, we need them to be culturally sensitive. And we have seen the failure of the Ebola crisis management due to a lack of knowledge on the cultural context. So what we need is to find the right balance between a global governance and the involvement of communities. The second thing I think is important is to incorporate health in all policies. Health is present in all aspects of life. When you look at the SDGs, only SDG 3 focuses specifically on health. But when you think about it, all of them have an impact on the health of the population. And the last thing I would say is of importance is solidarity, which is essential for the functioning of health systems. And in the current context, this solidarity is threatened and we need to protect it. Overall, I think there is hope for the future uh, with the recent agreements on climate, uh, the COP summits, also the Astana Declaration, which is following the Ama-Ata Declaration, the mobilization of students on the streets for climate justice. So change is starting to happen, but we need to keep up the efforts. Susanna, thank you very much. That a terrific global overview of the subject. I think I particularly respond to the point you make about the necessity for top-down, bottom-up simultaneously. And that gives us a natural lead to our second contributor, who is a member of the EHFF advisory board, uh, Matthijs Speer. Matthijs lives and works in Utrecht in the Netherlands, and he's been particularly involved in um, a local, a citywide um, a project, which in a sense is a community response to, to this issue, but you can tell us more, Matthias. Yes, hello, thank you, David. Uh, my name is Matthias Suur, indeed. I'm an associate director for the EHFF and also a strategic advisor for the local city government in uh, Utrecht, in which we started a project calling the Health Pact Utrecht. And it's interesting because with that Health Pact, we are uh, trying to facilitate or reinforce a movement in the city where everybody who wants to contribute to health in the city is welcome. So we can enable each other to collaborate, um, to be inspired and to uh, move forward with your ideas on health, and which is uh, obligatory for every government to have, a, to have a policy on that notion. But this is much more a promise to every uh, citizen of Utrecht, 355,661 in total, 50 new a day, and we will grow with like 100,000 in the next 15 years. So there's a real challenge for a city like Utrecht to keep its inhabitants healthy. And we came up with some sort of a broader mission, ambition, uh, which is stated that there is a healthy and happy urban life for everybody. Um, and we realized that every individual in our beautiful city has sometimes a droplet of energy to, to give to the health of uh, its fellow inhabitants, its fellow citizens. So we are tend to focusing on, on health benefits and the promotion of health in the city with a number of substantive key elements. In addition, with the Health Pact Utrecht, we bring the energy already there, the, the, the knowledge, the experience from all over the city together. So on a professional level, but also on almost a voluntary level. And in this way, we are building on a dynamic and growing network that stimulates 
small initiatives in neighborhoods, in streets, up and towards the bigger initiatives and connecting them like the hospitals and regular primary, secondary healthcare. There are a number of activities that we've done. One of them was a Healthy Idea Festival in which we brought the professionals and their organizations together with citizens to try to come up with input for the citizens' initiatives. So from a professional level, how can you use your experience and knowledge to help citizens in their own locality building almost capacity for health with their neighbors? And that's very interesting because instantly that got much bigger because we discussed health instead of sickness. So when we look at determinants of health, there are hundreds and hundreds of determinants which will help you gain health or stay healthy. And so we have a different set of examples that students came up with a stress relief program and a fantastic failure festival to open conversations under students about stress and stress from university. Uh, there were examples of the whole energy transition in Utrecht. 120,000 households have to quit using uh, natural gas in 2030. That's a whole operation on its own. But the people running that transformation actually worried about the mental health of citizens uh, because lots of people uh, worry themselves almost to death on the idea of transitioning to sustainable energy and what that impact is on their household. Who's going to pay for that? Where do I go? Where I'm going to live? Well, uh, that's being done. So I found it, and we found it quite interesting that it was so so broad topics brought up in relation to health. So we did that kickoff on April 15th. And uh, the whole uh, city council is now empowering themselves, but also the citizens to come up with even more initiatives and to build on that network. Exactly, uh, I think, in, in uh, some of the things Susanna said correctly, that there is so much possible already, but we are only uh, using a slight bit of it and not looking at the full potential. And that's exactly what Utrecht is trying to do, look at the full potential of its inhabitants, and give people some experimentation space, room to come up with their own in initiatives and be them, uh, empower them to, to build their own community, empower them to come up with their own solutions and empower them to be an owner of their own health. Uh, this, this launch, uh, what I said, was on the 15th of April and um, uh, actually today, this morning, the strategy to continue for the next four years is uh, approved, which means that uh, I, together with a dozen other people, are now ambassador for the city health pact and can continue to build on that network where we try to make crazy connections and inspire people to much more involve citizens, but also try to start from their perspective. So bottom up and not so much top down, but bottom up and in the top arrange, facilitate, try to come up with solutions and policy that actually help citizens to build their own capacity and allow people to have a healthy and happy urban life for everybody. You're listening to Beyond the Obvious. We've just been hearing from Matthias Sphere of the Health Pact project in Utrecht in the Netherlands, talking about the impact of a whole community working on its own health. Earlier, we also heard a quick overview of the global health situation from Susanna Kieschen, who is currently in Barcelona doing a master's in public health. Now we'll hand back over to our guest host, David Somek of the European Health Futures Forum. Now I'm going to turn to Mike Buick, who is our third contributor 
Uh, Mike, uh, Professor Mike Buick is someone who's worked for many years in the UK National Health Service. He was in a very senior position, now works as a management consultant, healthcare consultant. And Mike has a view, I'm particularly interested to hear from you, Mike, about how you see change needs to happen to make uh, health more sustainable and to support us in relation to the impact on the environment. Thank you very much, David, and thank you to the other contributors who've uh, spoken with passion, I think, around the areas where already society is becoming engaged much, much more. And I think that's the theme I wish to pursue as, as my part of this talk commences. I don't think there's any doubt internationally that both in westernised and evolving health systems, that the view that the current way of running health services is unsustainable and in fact is contributing, I think, to some of the environmental damage we're, we're seeing. We have major biological innovation, major technological innovation that is impacting on our lives, but yet is making it more frenetic, uh, less connected than it ever was in a meaningful way, and is fundamentally affecting how we work, but without any planning associated with it. And this is particularly so in the, in the health service. And I don't like that term health service because we tend to look at things in terms of how we prescribe for ill health. And I think this has been a running theme throughout the whole of my career, that we tend to concentrate uh, downstream rather than upstream. With the current availability of fantastic data, which tells us where our true challenges lie, and, and the future of automation and, and, and the impact of digital health, particularly in AI, we're going to see, I think, a sea change in what populations understand about their health. And as we're aware, the majority of determinants of illness in the end are down to societal factors, less so genetic, and increasingly by association with epigenetic research, evidence that that environment is impacting markedly on those most at risk. And so we're seeing a flattening of longevity in society. And in fact, in certain parts of the West now, we're seeing a fall off in longevity as that environmental damage becomes more understood. I think our problem goes back to training and the expectations of the workforce in that we will be there to prescribe pharma or equivalent interventions technologically rather than intervening early. And I think some of the pedagogy in our universities needs to change. I think this is happening in some of the newer universities where that widening participation in them is bringing people into nursing, medicine and other allied health professions that have experienced already in areas where there is challenge uh, healthcare. And these people, I think, are now looking at the design of healthcare as we have it at the moment and looking to a much more community-based one. And a little like you heard from the experience in Utrecht, we're moving to that sort of place-based healthcare and place-based wellness programs, which I think will become increasingly common as we develop our society. That wellness program can be prescribed through traditional means, through the doctor's surgery, through social care, etc. But increasingly, I think it needs new roles and responsibilities based in the community. And for that reason, I think place-based healthcare and wellness programs will work because they will be owned by the population. In the UK, we have had several policy changes over the last few years that have led to improvements in healthcare, but these have been not widespread and not widespread and not adopted particularly well. 
but we've not seen the, if you like, the industrial scale of developing social care policies so that we have engagement with children, both preschool and early school, into planning how they will look after themselves. And this again goes back to, I think, the pedagogy of not only the health educationists, but also of educationists in general. And we need to change that. I think the understanding by the wider community now that there are these disparities in health outcomes. And to be quite frank, the inequalities agenda will lead to unrest if we do not do something about it. We're seeing that in London, for instance, there's a rapid change in the attitude towards uh, environmental pollutants um, and much, uh, an, an, an almost a hierarchical top-down approach to saying we will not tolerate the petrol engine in, in, in London for much longer. And we're seeing that at government level now, despite it being uncosted, moving towards a carbon neutral uh, society by 2050. I do think that the role of government here is understated in the UK, and I think across the EU in general, it needs to up its game. But I think some of that will come from external to our, our, our traditional societies, whereby people will start to question the role of industrialization and globalization on their environment, and pressure will come by, as, as you're seeing at the moment, things like migration. I think it's important that our governments start to get a grip on common themes here and those common themes to me are that there is a, a massive need for a, a, a relook at the international workforce on healthcare where the, it's estimated there is 20 million deficit in the numbers required to deliver healthcare as is that patients must be seen at the center of this and really what i mean by that is citizens at the center planning healthcare and that if we are to use social media wisely that we can use that in a productive way to help connect people to what is the best way to stay healthy, fit, and have a meaningful life. And at the same time, to make sure that public policy reduces those global risks that we're seeing, not only in environmental changes that we're, we're, we've heard of before, but also in things like antibiotic resistance, which is becoming a real global threat. I think I'll stop at that point. Thank you, David. Mike, that's excellent. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Well. I have to say, between the three of you, there are so many issues you've raised which are certainly worth pursuing further. We've got a few minutes allotted to us to have a roundtable discussion. And I wonder whether one of the things that I think all of these matters that have been raised, I think, are highly relevant. I think the, the whole question of the timescale for which changes will be required is, of course, for me, a very significant factor. as someone who I'd call an amateur futurist. We have to look at scenarios, possible futures, multiple futures, um, some of which will uh, involve having to mitigate the fact that we can't move fast enough, given the circumstances and the other changes that are going on, to bring about uh, the changes we'd like. And this will cause impacts on our ability to deliver healthcare to look after the health of our populations and we will have to have strategies to deal with that negative uh, scenario as well as to move forward positively along some of the lines that people talked about improving education for 
the citizen as well as the health professional, uh, the upstream focus that Mike talked about, which again, as Susanna referred to, the whole thing about looking at prevention rather than illness cure. And then separately, really wider social issues, the need for solidarity to make government more accountable and recognise the concerns of the populace. These are all really interesting topics. I just wonder, though, having heard that kind of overview, whether people would want to comment on each other's contributions. We can talk about some of the contextual factors. That's one of the things that we've kind of alluded to them. Susanna particularly referred to the current economic system and the effects of globalization. And Mike did too. Who would like to uh, to say say a bit extra, having heard the others? Uh, it's Mike here. Um, yes. Susanna, um, we have uh, on the other side of the Atlantic from us someone who doesn't agree with the findings of the scientific community and, and doesn't behave in a particularly rational way in terms of explaining the differences between healthcare systems and why there might be a need for change. How does the international community cope with both that side of the Atlantic and perhaps in other larger continents whereby the environmental message hasn't got home yet? How do you see that evolve? Well, I think that um, we have to start somewhere. So if we have already a small portion of the population who is acting for change, I think that's already a start. And hopefully, uh, with the education and the technology that we have now, maybe it will spread to the rest. Okay, I think that's very interesting. I'm sympathetic with that notion of building up uh, a gradual momentum, isn't it, towards change. I think, though, that inevitably, in between times, there will be consequences from that. So there's a constant dynamic of struggle there, isn't it, between... Uh, I guess from where we sit, the people who we think are the good guys and the others who may be not so good about really being more concerned about personal gain than the future of the planet. Oh yeah, the, uh, Matthijs here. This is, uh, it is interesting because in all of our examples, you have on one side the notion of, of change and growth and possibilities and the lovely human nature and how we can coexist and on the other hand it's it's more a paradox it's if we would be able to save those 50,000 people a day that Susanna mentioned then we have an ethical question what happens when we save everybody and of course I know we won't be able to save everybody instantly but the burden on this planet uh, because of the human population is quite intense so how how we respond to that. So if it's more equal, China is going through an in the industrial revolution uh, in, a th in a tenth of the time that America did. And uh, so is the pollution. On the other hand, they are growing much faster in sustainable energy production than uh, any other country. So so that's, those dilemmas are, are interesting because there, is, there isn't a grand design, so to speak. I think that's a very good point. There are two things I'd, I'd respond to for listening to the conversation so far. One is, of course, uh, the difficulty about education as well, isn't it, that people's expectations have been raised by so many of the advances that people would feel deprived if they're not able to access highly expensive options which perhaps may prolong their life for just a few weeks or months. And of course one can understand that at the same time there's the moral dilemma that 
the envelope of resource for for healthcare is is finite, and that's just one of many moral dilemmas there are. Uh, implicit in the sort of thing that Matthias was referring to. That if you save everyone's lives, then suddenly we can't afford to feed ourselves, <laughs> or you make very uncomfortable choices. I think the uncomfortable choices are inevitable, in fact, aren't they? However, one thing I did want to ask Susanna is, in terms of her response to Mike's question, is a, is a slight a tangent to that, which is one of the things at the HFF we've been very, very interested in is how to harness the energy of young people and their enthusiasm. And Susanna already referred to the demonstrations in the streets and so on by kids at school and so forth, as well as older people. But I wonder, is there a growing role maybe for, if you like, youth power to maybe influence the uh, dynamic I referred to earlier? What do you think, Susanna? Well, I think that young people should be should be encouraged to to be part of the decision making because I think they are the future of this planet and I think they start to be aware of all the the problems that are going on at the moment and I think that if if they're involved they might really do good. I guess it's always the the issue is is not whether we should do it, but how we do it is <laughs> the dilemma. Um, so Could I comment, though? Please. It's Mike. You and I have been to these programs about polar, you know, pollution and its effect on, on particularly on respiratory systems and yeah. and how we might look at that in more depth and get people to be much more proactive in their care. But one of the most impressive things I learned from that was working with computer scientists and epidemiologists who were looking at really the planetary health and I think that the movement needs to be about planetary health. It, it's not just about our survival, it's about nature's survival. And we almost need to be able to perceivably give people examples of if you change this, it would implement in this positive way. And I guess to defend the other side of the Atlantic, they have put quite a few environmental measures in because they're worried about their children. Um, and so we're seeing often activities that are ahead of the policymakers' curve. And we need to be able to promote that. And I think youth is the best way of doing it, but only if they are doing it in cooperation with those people who are also suffering at the other end, who've had the deleterious effects of those pollutants on their health. And so there's a wider understanding of cause effect and the mitigations you can put in place now compared to the policy decisions that need to be made that will take generations to change. I think that's an excellent note to finish on the uh, looking after the health of the planet. And in, in closing, I just want to thank again the three uh, contributors, uh, Susanna Kishon, uh, Matthias Sveer and Mike Buick, for the, their excellent contribution today. Thanks a lot. And many thanks to David Zomek for being our guest host on this podcast. Thanks also, as always, to Leisha Kelly for her fine music on the harp. We'll be taking a break in August and we'll be back with our sixth podcast episode in September. We welcome your input, which you can give by sending us an email at website at faster.org or through our website. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Obvious. Beyond the Obvious.